Welcome to Fire Talk Radio, teaching the unfiltered Word of God with the anointing of His Spirit. With subjects on eternity. Hi, my name is Adam Grigsby, and I'm here with Deborah Lacewell, and welcome to another episode of Fire Talk Radio. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking the subject of Is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol? Um, a huge uh, issue uh, in people's lives, in the body of Christ. We're going to clarify that, that with nothing tonight, but really the Word of God and scientific proof to show why this is something that should be avoided by every believer. Deborah, do you have something you want to say about that? Yeah, just um, we're hoping that tonight, yeah, we're just tonight we're going to dig into the Word of God and see what the Word of God says about this subject and alcohol in the life of a believer, you know, should I, should a should a, a Christian should they drink? So we're gonna just delve into that. We're gonna follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and let Him direct us. Amen. Well, the first thing we want to bring up is even where the word, which I thought was a good starting point, was even where the word alcohol comes from. The word alcohol actually comes from an Arabic word, and you can Google this yourself. I found this in multiple sources. It comes from the word alkul, A-L-K-U-H-L, alkul. And it was named such because it was what they called a body-eating spirit. And the reason they called it that was because of the effects of the alcohol upon their bodies. So that alone enough should tell us uh, why this should be avoided. But we're going to, of course, give you the word of God on this matter. But we thought that was an important starting point of where that word actually comes from. Um, You know, I can say both in my life and in the lives of many others, I can never think of like a good alcohol story, you know, you know, where there were incredibly benefits of people that drank alcohol on any kind of regular basis. Um, You know, scientifically, you know, it's been proven that even one beer can, you know, intoxicate, intoxicate somebody on some level to impair their judgment. And uh, so that alone, you know, should show us that it's a bad thing. Even science who, even science, even the people that say drink responsibly if there is su- as if there is such a thing, would say that if you drink a beer, you should wait two hours before even driving. So as Christians, why in the world would we, where, would we defile the temple of God with something that would impair God's judgment? Now we're going to go on to that subject deeper and later, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is, the Bible says we're to be of sober mind, and so any form of intoxication or anything that would alter our reasoning or our judgment biblically should be avoided. Deborah? Yes, you know, we've been we've been researching this stuff uh, painstakingly, actually, and uh, we've been doing a lot of research, and uh, a thank you to our pastor, Pastor Todd, for giving us a lot of the information called the uh, Alcohol in the Church. I'm going to read you some of the things uh, from that. You know, um, a lot of a lot of people kind of really don't understand Adam about uh, the difference between alcohol in that day and the difference between today. And you know, and actually, until medieval times, it was not possible to create an alcoholic beverage with greater than 10% alcohol content. Furthermore. Kosher wine made by the Hebrews was not made with sugar and yeast. Therefore, the alcohol content was far less than modern wine. In addition, it was also diluted with water, according to the Hebrew tradition. Wine in biblical times would be like be a little more than 1-2% to 2% alcohol at most before it turned to vinegar. 
Um, biblical Greek language is handicapped in distinguishing between fresh juice versus fermented juice. Um, and it translates with a Hebrew tyrosh, which means fresh juice or new wine, and yayin, fermented wine, which I may or may not be pronouncing right. Sorry, I didn't get to that part. It's all good. We're not Greek scholars. Yeah, I was. Um, let's see. And so finally, the scripture uses a word that simply means intoxication, which is meth, the word meth, commanded against, in its command against being drunk. Um, let me see. It is then a dangerous game when we enter into discussion about, you know, about See, every story in the Bible regarding the use of alcohol, beginning with Noah, resulted in shame, curses, and debauchery. So basically, with all of this, um, the alcohol is a lot more potent nowadays than it was in biblical days. Because they, they had the they had that um, the commandment, you know, they didn't they didn't put the yeast in it, and they didn't it, the Hebrews, you know, it, it was kosher wine, so it didn't have yeast or sugar. And while well, I'm looking up something, Adam, can you say something? Yeah, <laughs> Proverbs Proverbs twenty verse one says, "Wine is a mocker." I is not wise, so. It doesn't say that that wine is a mocker when you drink a bunch of it. It just says that it's, it's a mocker, and it's and it says that, and it actually sees it says that you can be deceived by it. You know, um, a lot of people like a part of the point I'll go into will say in uh, dealing with alcohol as Christians, well, you know, we're not legalists, we're not under the law, and so therefore. Um, I can do that. Well, first, um, I want to point out that the New Testament standard is actually higher than the Old Testament standard. I just want to address that real quick. What does it really mean to be free from the law? Well, first of all, free from the law does not mean that we now are free from the commandments of God like some people would kind of teach. Uh, rather, free from the law means no longer do we have commandments written upon stone that, that are restriction to us, that we don't have the ability to live, but rather he says he t- takes out the stony heart and writes his law upon our hearts, and thereby we live them out of our hearts. Jesus said you know, my, his food was to do the will of him who sent me. So Jesus' food was obeying God. I mean, it was his fulfillment. So to the extent that the word of God is a fulfillment, not a restriction to us, is how free we are from the law. So to say it in a simple way, freedom from the law is get to, not have to. It's no longer, well, I can't drink wine or I can't drink because, you know, I'm told not to. Whether it's like, man, I got I got something better in Jesus. I got something better in the Holy Ghost. I want nothing to do with this stuff. You know, Jesus would say in the Gospels, he would say that if you even look at a woman lusting her heart, you're an adulterer. You know, because in the Old Testament, it just talks about sleeping with another man's wife. But Jesus said, but if I say unto you, if you even look at her with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. Jesus was preaching grace. He was saying that under grace, under the new covenant, under not being under the law, no longer is it just not doing it on the outwardly. It's having no desire for it inwardly. You know, and the last thing I'll say along those lines is that under the Old Testament law, the Levite priests and the Nazarites were, were not allowed to drink wine. You know, you can look that up. And so, but the Bible says in Revelations 1, verse 6, that we are kings and priests unto God. 
Isn't that amazing? So not only are we kings and priests, but we're all high priests because we can enter directly into the presence of God. So if in the Old Testament they could not, if they could not be a priest without abstaining from alcohol, then how much more those of us here in the New Covenant that entered directly before God? So if the New Testament standard is higher, then it would be safe to say, and we are all priests, then it would all say, be reasonable to say that Christians should be avoiding alcohol and that it is a condition for, to be somebody that enters into the presence of God. And also, also, um, I would like to reiterate and reread. It says here um, that kosher wine, they drink kosher wine, and it was made by the Hebrews, but it was not made with sugar and yeast. Um, so this is a definition of ethyl alcohol. First, there, there's the alcohol. It's, um, this is ethyl alcohol, alcohol you drink in whiskey, beer, and wine. The yeast eats some kind of sugar or starch and turns it into carbon dioxide and alcohol. In wine, the process is pretty simple. Yeast eats the sugar in grape juice and creates alcohol. In whiskey, the alcohol is distilled to get the concentration higher. So basically, kosher wine doesn't have the yeast or the sugar that today's alcohol has in it, like basically what I just read, because their their process in making the ethyl alcohol has to do with the starch, has to do with the yeast. So it's some form of sugar and it's some form of yeast, which they, uh, was not kosher to do in that day you could not you could not do that so it was just not kosher basically pretty much you could not could not do that so it was so much different than nowadays uh it's so much more it's so much stronger nowadays i I think they i don't know it's it's like they want to do that so they can sell more and and i shouldn't say that god forbid me that's a judgment i stand corrected But you know, it's it's uh, it's just a lot more than it was in those days. So we got to take into account that that um, what it was back then is not what it is today, mm-hmm. and um, and have to be, you know, because this yeah. what it was. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, bottom line is. Is you know you had you had read one thing to me earlier, Deborah, about um, if, if you could find that about when uh, Jesus was on the cross, they tried to offer him wine, but he uh, but he actually rejected it. But then later they offered him something else, and then he accepted it because a lot of people would say that even Jesus drank wine. So go ahead and comment on that. Okay, well um, I found um, I found that actually I'm going to read one other one. Well, I'll read that one first, and then I'll we can go off that. Um, Okay, so this was under reasons um, or excuses for Christians drinking, and some of it is ignorance, because I didn't know all these things until I researched them. Mm -hmm. And ignorance doesn't mean you're stupid, it just means you don't have the knowledge on a subject. Um, And I'm reading from Alcohol in the Church, so it says, Another common myth is that Jesus drank wine at the Last Supper, and therefore it should be what we use in our communion services. And of course, if we if we use wine in communion with God, why not use wine in communion with one another? 
The first point that needs to be made is that nowhere in any manuscript of the Greek New Testament does it say that Jesus drank wine at the Last Supper. Rather, what the Bible does say is that he drank of the fruit of the vine, and that's Matthew 26, 29, and that's also Mark 14, 25, and Luke 22, 18. So very specifically then, Jesus is referring to grape juice. To assume that this was fermented grape juice and not fresh juice is to make a lot of assumptions. However, let's assume for a minute that it was last year's fermented grape juice and that it was being used for Passover. It would have to comply with the kosher laws of Passover, which, as I stated earlier, had no yeast and no sugar. The, the kosher law passed over required the removal of all leaven, which would require, which would include any form of yeast or the products of yeast, and that's in Exodus twelve fifteen, nineteen, uh, chapters thirteen, uh, verses seven, chapter thirty four of Exodus, and twenty five. And 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 through 8. The bottom line is that kosher for Passover is flat bread and flat wine. If a Christian were feeling the need to partake of the Lord's table using wine, a communion glass of kosher wine that is a year old is likely to be more towards what a modern-day person would consider vinegar as opposed to alcohol. And let me see. I'm going to find the other thing while you're... While you're... Well, with that being said, you know, uh, everything in the Old Testament is a type and symbol of things that relate to us today. You know, regarding the Old Testament, you know, feasts and festivals, you know, we don't celebrate, like, a literal Passover feast. I mean, it's okay to do so for knowledge, but you know, or to see, you know, to get an idea of what the Jews were doing at that time. But in the New Testament, it translates to a greater spiritual reality. So in the New Testament, we don't, you know, in, in, in Passover, in the Old Testament, they, you know, they would, one of the things that they would do is they would feast on a lamb whose bones were not broken. And that was symbolic, of course, of Jesus himself. So do we need to do that today? No, because we have the greater spiritual reality of feasting with Jesus himself, because he is the bread of life. So if if in the if in the Old Testament they had to forsake all leaven out of the out of the wine that they were drinking then how much more then how much more as I stated previously because we're under a higher standard in the New Testament would it be for us that are feasting on Jesus here today because our lives are actually supposed to be a celebration of Passover it's not so much about doing this feast once a year it's that our lives are supposed to represent a celebration of what he's done for <laughs> us so how much more for us today I found, uh, you know, you were talking about the uh, Nazarite, right, Mm -hmm. earlier? Yep. And I was just looking in here for that, uh, what you were asking me to look for, and um, what I found was it's under the chapter or the paragraph of an intoxicated Jesus, uh, question mark. The most amazing thing of all is that good people would even consider that Jesus would live a less consecrated life than a Nazareth, mm-hmm. Nazarite 
or a priest. Men would have the audacity to preach that Jesus was intoxicated and put an intoxicating drink to his brother's lips. They argue that because the Greek word onus is used, it had to be an intoxicating drink. However, this is at the expense of ignoring vast amounts of information, both biblically and securely, that proves that both the Greek word oinus and the Hebrew word yeyen are used of wine that is fresh squeezed juice. The following are a few examples from hundreds that could be cited. Halakhok Gedalot, the earliest Jewish compendium of the Talmud. The statement reads, one per one one may this is a tongue twister. Yeah. One may press out a cluster of grapes and pronounce the kiddush, kiddush over the juice. Since the juice of the grape is considered wine, yayin, that's the juice of the grape, in connection with the laws of the Nazarite, uh, Nicander, 2nd century B.C., writes of squeezing grapes and refers to the, to the produced juice as onos. An early church father mentions that when grapes are crushed, they yielded jars of wine. Again, the word onus, which I may or may not be pronouncing right. Um, and then a Greek letter speaks of fresh wine. Again, the same word from the treading vat. The vocabulary of the Greek testaments. <coughs> As the Greek Testament speaks of a sweet wine that does not make the head heavy. Um, that's again the O I N O S. So sweet wine in parentheses O I N O S that does not make the head heavy. That would be like equivalent to a hangover. And in another place, he writes of a man gathering grapes who went about and took wine. O-N-I-O-S, from the field. So how can you take a bottle of wine from the field? You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, Was Jesus Christ our Lord a wine-bibber? When he, was he an undisciplined glutton, or was that just what his enemy said about him because he reached out to harlots, publicans, and sinners? Was there ever a time recorded in the scripture where Jesus was intoxicated? The answer to this question is absolutely not. It is the conclusion of everyone who wants to emphatically declare that every time that the Greek word O-I-N-O-S is used means that Jesus was sipping on an alcoholic beverage totally ignores both linguistic as well as scientific facts that there are plenty of reasons to believe that he was not. And that's alcohol in the Western world. Now, um, there's a part that, uh, okay, now it says, does anyone in their right mind think that Jesus and his mother attended a Hellenistic and pagan festival in which everyone actually became falling down drunk? Because this is another reason people say that they can drink. It's another 
kind of another excuse or reason or just ignorance or whatever. They say Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus drank wine. So, it, and we're going to go into that right now. Uh, it says, well, if Jesus turned the water into about 120 gallons of an alcoholic beverage that was anything near to what the wine is today, then every person that was in the state of a drunken stupor, and that's in James Strong, Of course, there was not the case. That was not the case, as it was a Jew, as it was a Jewish wedding, and there were strict prohibitions among the Jews against intoxication. Furthermore, Jesus did this to show forth his glory, not to create debauchery. The first miracle that Jesus worked was to supply a glorious testimony of who he was to all who were present. What Jesus actually did was to begin to reveal who he was and what he was going to do for all mankind. The majority of Jesus' ministry and teaching were focused on the water of the Spirit and the wine of his blood. When we consider the message of communion and fellowship in the Spirit and in the blood of Jesus, this miracle takes on a whole new dimension of meaning and purpose. Jesus liberally supplies communion to all those who are willing to drink and rejoice in the goodness of God, both then and now. It is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we are given the miracle of intimate and unlimited communication or communion with God. The prophets testify of the blessing of God and the abundance of wine that he would supply in the last days. That's in Amos 9, 13 through 14, and Hosea 14 through 7, Jer- Jeremiah 31 and verse 12. In fact, we may view this event and miracle as the proclamation of messianic age, as well as the beginning of the call to the new covenant. God is calling all men everywhere to come and fellowship with him and rejoice in his presence. And as a record in Enoch 10:19, the vine provided wine in abundance. Do you have any thoughts on that? Amen. Well, I mean, <clears throat> the Bible is very clear that we are not to be drunk on wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. So, and as we've already covered, that in this day and age especially, that even a beer has the ability to intoxicate you on some level and impair your judgment. So, and it was we've covered that if we're priests unto God, that we are not to be that it, that just how much more than than the than the priests of that day should we abstain from such substances? So now you know we're we're going to go into some more scriptures on this later, but I do want to cover. So has God given us anything to replace the wine? I will say I think one of the reasons that the church as a whole has leaned towards the things in the world, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> is because they. Because they don't understand the availability of the person of the Holy Spirit available to fill us with something to replace that. You know, the you know a lot of re, a lot of things that turn people off from the church is that you know they give up their drinking, they give up their drugs, they give up their highs, and then they come to church and just now it's all about just being nice people. You come to service, you hear a nice message, you read some scriptures, and you go go out for potluck afterwards. And even Christians that do in that situation that do abstain from wine, a lot of times they just find other things to gorge themselves on, <clears throat> like food or whatever the case may be. Why? 
because they still ha- don't have they've 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 walked away from the things of the world, but they don't have anything else to fill themselves with. So what do we as Christians have to truly be free from the law, to be free from the desires of this world? What do we fill ourselves with? We fill ourselves with the person of the Holy Spirit. James chapter four verse eight says, "Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you." So the key to not only not walking in these things, but to have no desire for it, is to draw near to him and let him fill you with his spirit. Let him be your food. Let him be your communion. As the old song says, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of the glory of his grace. And of course, when I say grace, I'm not touching it, talking about this perverted grace that is being teach, taught right now. I'm talking about the true grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You know, I know Christians that say that they're under grace. And the next thing you see on something about from them on, you know, Facebook or whatever about them, they're at world of beer now because they're under grace. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about grace that says, you know, in the same way that under grace, if you even look at one lust in your heart, you're an adulterer, then how much more with the things of alcohol? That means if we, we should have no desire for it. Why? Because we're filled with the things of God. One of the things that really typified the early church was is that even things in the world that weren't necessarily sin, they really wanted and had no part with them. Not because they, they were trying to be holier than thou, but they just really lost all desire for it because they were feasting on the things of God. So God does give us a replacement. The devil always has a, a counterfeit, and he has the world's wine to replace the wine of God. You know, as, as Deborah was speaking, he gives us wine in abundance. It's the wine of the person of the Holy Spirit. But, of course, to receive that wine... We have to choose which wine we want to drink from. You know, our own pastor, Pastor Otting, was talking about a time when he was in a church service at a prominent church, and there was a section of the church that couldn't receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he and he realized it was because they were drinking wine. A friend of mine actually talked about seeing this church on TV, and there were actually church members in the church service with like with glasses of wine in their hands, as as if like somehow that made them spiritual and free. And so my pastor was saying the reason they couldn't drink of the wine of God is because they were they were they were busy partaking of the world's wine. And so and on that note I'll, I'll say this, you know, if as far as like churches that, that give out serve alcoholic wine in communion and things of that nature or tr- Christians that drink wine, 1 Timothy 4:16 says to watch your life and your doctrine closely for by doing so you will save yourself and your hearers. Now, that doesn't just apply to teachers. That applies to everybody because we are examples to everybody around us. And so if, you, if, there's, if there's a brother among you that sees your example or hears about your example, and then he himself then turn, turns to it and becomes an alcoholic or turns into it, then how is that, how is that glorifying God? So for that reason alone, we should just avoid and stay away from it, along with the fact that there's not a single benefit to it. I mean, it intoxicates you. It keeps you from the from the from the wine of the spirit of God. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've never really drank a lot of wine that tasted good or alcohol. When I was in the world, I only drank to get drunk. I never really, man. Let me drink. I'm gonna have some of that Budweiser. It's so good. I mean, it was just I drank to get drunk. I drank because of the intoxicating benefit, if you want to call it that. So in the same way, but we as Christians have something else to get intoxicated on. Deborah, you're talking about also be being filled. Also, you know, the scriptures talk about being not drunk with wine, but be, where's the debauchery, but be being filled, speaking to yourselves in psalms and spiritual songs. And I haven't, and uh, so, you know, constantly be filled with, with 
the wine of of the Holy Spirit, basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, be being filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's in uh, Ephesians five eighteen. Oh, don't don't destroy yourself by getting drunk, but let your Whereas in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And basically, some, some translations say, be ye being filled. So, so basically, it's a continuous thing. And this actually has a bunch of translations here. Uh, but it's Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to wild living. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> and be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but be filled so it's just basically keep being filled, you know, whether it's, of course, praying in tongues and, and uh, worshiping and praying and, uh, you know, things like that. So just basically being in his presence and and uh, <clears throat> being in his presence and, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> First, First Thessalonians 5, 5 through 8 says, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then we, shall, we should not sleep as the rest do also, but we should watch and be sober. For these sleeping sleep by night, and those having been drunk are drunk mm-hmm. by night. But we being of the day should be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So notice it talks about being sober, and it talks about watching. You know, again, you're going to be filled with either the world's wine and the things of the world, or you're going to be filled with the wine of the Spirit. And, you know, one of the ways that we watch, it says, is by being sober. Um, that's that's so huge. So, again, as we've covered previously, even one alcoholic beverage, be it a, a shot of whiskey, a beer, or whatever the case may be, has the ability to impair your judgment, and that's not being sober. And so, so we're supposed to be sober and watching for him. I don't know about you, but it's just like, I mean, if Jesus returned and I'm walking around with a beer in my hand, that's probably not going to be a, you know, what am I going to say, Jesus is buds for you? I mean, it's just, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, that doesn't even correlate. And if we have the, and if we have the wine, the world, the, the, the wine of the Holy Ghost to drink from, then why would I want anything of this? We've talked a lot about how, um, that it, that it's the word for alcohol is actually the Arabic word alcohol, which means a body eating spirit. So with that being, so it actually destroys the body, which I know Deborah's got some stuff to say about that. And I'll let her go into that in a second. Uh, but First uh, Corinthians three seventeen says, "If any man destroys the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, and such are ye." So not only are you destroying and hurting the temple of God when you drink yourself. But potentially by your example, you're also destroying the temple around you. And if there's not repentance, then the Bible's the Bible is making it clear that there'll be a firm judgment that will come upon you. So if you ask most Christians, do you want more of God? Most of them will say yes. However, the Bible says to lay aside every hindrance. So it's safe to say that this is a hindrance that, that can keep us from the presence of God. So and with so with that being said, uh Deborah, what are some of the things that you Read, read about uh, about the physical some of the physical uh, ailments that drinking brings. Um, I was just actually thinking of what you were what you were saying about uh, um, about the the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, that was in. Uh, 
That's actually in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, uh, 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are temple, a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. Um... So that was that was on those, and actually something you and I were reading shortly before we went on. The air has is connected with us, so um, it's, uh, it talks about what does defile mean. Uh, so basically, you know, if we defile the temple, God's going to destroy the temple. Is what those words are saying, and according to this man. Uh, his name is Robert Rushmore, uh, Defiling the Temple, and I found it online. Defile, this is what he says, There are several sources to which one may turn to gather an understanding of what defilement is. Some of them are as follows. To pine or waste, properly to shrivel or wither, i.e. to spoil by any process, or genuinely to ruin, especially figuratively by immoral influences, to deprave signifies to destroy by means of corrupting, and so bringing into a worse state. B, with the significance of destroying, it is used of marring a local church by leading it away from that condition of holiness of life and purity of doctrine in which it should abide. And that's 1 Corinthians 3.17, King James Version is defile. And of God's retribution, destruction of the offender who is guilty of this sin. To put it in other terms, defilement is the opposite of holy. Holy is sacred, morally blameless, or consecrated. That's from Bible Soft. One who is holy is separated from sin and therefore consecrated to God, sacred. One who is holy is devoted to God. One who is holy is cleansed from all defilement, forsaking sin, and that's in vines. And I was looking at this, and it talks about it talks about here with the significance of destroying it is used for marring a local church by leading it away from the condition of holiness of life and purity of doctrine in which it should abide. So basically, when when prophets or pastors or teachers or evangelists or apostles, anybody in the fivefold ministry is openly proclaiming and confessing to drinking alcoholic beverages, even if it's, quote, socially at dinner or if it's, you know, at a wedding or whatever the case may be, which we've already established that even one of anything already starts to impair your judgment. Um when they're when they're openly confessing to that, then they are leading people astray 
who may or may not know any better. Maybe they're mature Christians are thinking, seeing them, well, if they're drinking or they're saying it's okay to drink, I guess I can drink too. Well, maybe that person has a problem with alcoholism. Maybe they just got out of the world. Maybe they don't know any better. And if this preacher or pastor or whoever it is in the fivefold ministry, even a top leader in the Christian, they don't have to be in the fivefold ministry, but especially the fivefold ministry I'm talking about now. If they're standing up there and they're saying, well, you know, I drink beer on occasion or I have to need wine or we have a wine cellar or whatever, then then they're they are they're leading them astray and and um, it's it's just you know it talks about not not to cause your brother to stumble you know because of what you're doing and you know it's better that you weren't born and have a millstone around your around your neck basically i haven't quoted it verbatim but that's pretty much the nutshell so with with that um you know if 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 people, when people, because I've heard people actually say that on on TV, or like I used to watch this this certain person in the fivefold ministries. Nobody I'm associated with now, so don't go there in your head. <laughs> but it was somebody like this was several years ago. I watched them on TV, and uh, actually they had their own internet thing later on, and they talked about how them and their wife had a wine cellar, and that she didn't really like them people knowing that but he had a wine cellar and so basically he you know he does he drinks and and he's a he's a um uh in the prophetic ministry um when that happens and you know maybe you are called to the prophetic office and you're doing you're doing a lot of, you know, you're doing drinking, drinking. I mean, even talks about in the Bible, be careful not to, to be careful to stay sober so that you can tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and a bad spirit. Yeah. So, you know, between evil and Holy Spirit, you want to be able to tell the difference. You don't want to start opening yourself up to familiar spirits and then therefore prophesying either out of your flesh or out of a familiar spirit and then not knowing, not knowing where, when or what or where you're prophesying. And I'm not judging that purpose, that person. I'm just, I'm making a statement. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it, we have to be very careful as our witness and not to lose our testimony and, and not to lead our brother astray um, by by that. The scripture you quoted is actually Mark 9, 42. And I'll just read that and emphasize what he's really saying. Sometimes some of the stuff that Jesus is saying uh, can be so mind-blowing and extreme <clears throat> that we tend to we tend to view it through the lens of how we talk sometimes. Let me just make this very clear. Jesus doesn't exaggerate. He doesn't over. He doesn't overemphasize. If he tells us to be careful with his words, then he's very careful with his words. So I'll emphasize that in what I'm about to read that he means what he says. It's not some over-the-top statement to put us into to, to like scare us into righteousness. He's this is what this is what he's saying. Mark 9.42 says, Whosoever shall cause one of these little ones that believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him that a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. A millstone, even a normal millstone, he actually calls it a great millstone. A normal millstone weighs about 100 pounds. And he's literally saying that if God was to show you, to give you a choice of your judgment, do you want this 100-pound millstone hung around your neck and you'd be thrown into the sea, or do you want this? You would actually choose the millstone. 
And the, I mean, if you can even imagine having a stone hung on your neck and thrown into the deepest part of the sea, how terrible that would be. But Jesus is saying, no, that would actually be better for you than what would happen to you if you cause one of these little ones to stumble. Which again brings me back to 1 Timothy 4.16, which says, Watch your life, your doctrine closely, for by doing so you will save yourself and your hearers. So not only will you save the people that hear you, you're going to save yourself. You might say, well, Adam, that's not grace. Well, Jesus came full of grace and truth, so this is grace. It's out of his grace that he gives us these warnings that these things don't happen to us. You know, we have this uh, weird idea of the grace of God that, you know, and the kindness of God that when it says the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance, that that means we never warn, we never rebuke, we never exhort, we just, you know, hug people and say, I love you, and just we're, and our niceness is going to somehow convict people into repentance. No. It's out of his kindness that he actually gives us these warnings that when we stand before him, it's out of his kindness that he says, I'm saying this so this doesn't happen to you. So without so we've given so we've all, we've proven scripturally that, you know, in any way, shape or form, that even if, even if drinking was okay, and even in moderate amounts, the very effect that it would have on others around us would be enough to make us walk away and say, Well, I'm not I mean, walk away and then couple that with the fact that we're supposed to stay sober, and even one drink impairs you. Couple that with the fact that we have that we're priests, and we cannot enter into the presence of God if we're drinkers, and the list goes on. So we've given more than enough examples about the dangers of drinking and things that and things of that nature. But now I think it's good if everyone would agree that we're going to go into some scriptures. We have a list of seventy-five scriptures that we're going to go ahead and we're not going to read the scriptures verbatim. We're going to give you the gist of the scriptures and read them to you. I want to recommend that people get out their pens and pencils. Yeah, we want to give them a minute to get their notebook mm-hmm. and, you know, get something to write with. Not mean just not mean to interrupt you and read away, but people you know, might want to give a couple of minutes to get something to write on mm-hmm. and with and write yeah. down some some scriptures and uh, some references. And also we're going to have a link up later. Mm-hmm. On on where we had uh, where we've got the picture and the description, we're going to put up uh, some links to these uh, sites later on, so that you can read and study it for yourself. Study to show yourself approved. Don't just take our word for it. I mean, you might think we're biased or something. Just study to show yourself approved. And uh, you know, you were talking about. Uh, I mean, it talks about in the Bible about you know what what what. Uh, what what fellowship does light have with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. Has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So I know, but I mean. That made me think of that, that scripture when you're talking about that. That's huge. So God Himself is dwelling in us. If the, if we have that promise of the ability to walk in the very glory of God that we're pressing towards, then what in the world do we need to have a beer for to ease our stress? What in the weird do, world do we need to have some wine for? To he's He's told us that we can cast our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. It really all goes back to relationship. The need to drink something, the need to do that, to alleviate your stress, whatever the case may be, is a deeper is a symptom of a deeper thing that you lack relationship with God. But the good news is that you can repent 
and you can and you can turn back to Jesus and you can say, God, I'm going to seek after you. Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 29 it says, If you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. If you'll diligently pursue after God, he promises that he'll draw near to you and you'll find him. And in that relationship, you find something much better for you than the wine of the world. Right. You know, when you were um saying that, uh made me think of our, our pastor often says something and along these lines, I don't know if I'm quoting, quoting him verbatim, but uh says, uh, why go to the devil to get relief from the devil? Basically, if you're stressed out and, and you're having a hard time and, you know, why why go to the world's drug, the world's wine, the world's alcohol to get relief from what the devil's putting on you? Go go to the new wine of the Holy Ghost and... and uh, You'll get relief pretty quick. <laughs> so hopefully by now, everyone, we've given them a couple minutes. So if you have your pens and papers out, uh, notepads on your phones, whatever it is you do, and uh, we're going to go uh, through some scriptures. So I'm going to read half of them, or I'm actually going to have Deborah start read half of them, and then I'm going to read half of them. And um, just write them down and study them. And like she said, study to show yourself approved. And by the time we get through the list, there should be more than enough of here. The Bible says to receive the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. So that's what we're going to give you more than enough to make you never want to go near that stuff again. Okay. This is um, this is uh, about 75 biblical warnings uh, against alcohol. And uh, there are actually more scriptures condemning the use of alcoholic beverages than can be found on lying, adultery, swearing, cheating, hypocrisy, pride, and or blasphemy. So there's actually more scriptures than any of those. In uh, Genesis 9, 20-26, you know, Noah became drunk and his result was immorality and family troubles. And you can read about that in Genesis nine twenty through 26. And Watt was so drunk he did not know what... He did not know what he was doing. This led to immorality. And you can read about that in Genesis 19... In Genesis 19, 30, verses 30 through 38. And God commanded priests not to drink so that they could tell the difference between the holy and the unholy. And we spoke about that. So I'm going to read that one. That's in Leviticus 10, 9 through 11. Do not drink wine or strong drink, you or your sons. When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever in all your generations. You shall make a distinction and recognize a difference between the holy and the common or unholy and between the unclean and the clean. And the Nazarites were told to eat or drink nothing from the grapevine. That's what we discussed. That's in Numbers 6 and verse 3. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar of wine, which says right there, no vinegar of wine, because we've talked about the wine was pretty much like vinegar today. So 
or a strong drink. I shall drink no grape juice or eat grapes, fresh or dried. A drunken son was stubborn and rebellious. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 21.20. God gave no grape juice to Israel, nor did they have intoxicating drink. That's in Deuteronomy 29.6. Intoxicating wine is like the poison of serpents. The cruel venom of asps. So that's in Deuteronomy 32:33. Their wine is the furious venom of serpents and the pitiless poison of vipers. Samson was to be a Nazarite for his mother. His mother was told not to drink wine or strong drink. You can read about that in Judges. 13, 4, verses 4, 7, and 14. And Hannah was accused of being drunk, even though she had had no wine. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 1, 14 through 15. Nabal died after a drunken spree. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 25, 32 through 38. Now, I wanted to read about this particularly, but I can cover it later. Um, by getting drunk, David hoped to cover his sin. But I'll just come back to these. We'll just read them now. Getting, uh, she was getting Uriah drunk. Pardon me? It was by getting Uriah drunk. He was trying to cover his sin by getting Uriah drunk. Right. So um, he was trying to cover up his sin that he had had uh, an adulterous affair with this man's wife um, because at the time when kings were supposed to be at war, uh, he didn't go to war and he was, um, I guess he was didn't have much to do, but he was on the rooftop one day and he saw Bathsheba bathing across the way and decided that he wanted to have her. So uh, they ended up with an affair and so he calls, he ends up bringing his her husband home uh, on leave and, and, and wants to get him drunk because they found out she was pregnant. So he wanted to bring him home in the hopes that after getting him drunk, he would go into into her and be intimate with her so that they would just, you know, she could just say, oh, I'm pregnant. And But he had such a heart in him uh, that he he refused to go into the house and, and have, any any kind of relations with her or even sleep on a bed because how could he do that when his servants were were uh, out there and that's in 2 Samuel but anyway he didn't go in there and uh, so um, David ends up getting him in the worst battleground and, and ends up having him killed basically the war killed him but he really set him up to get killed so that he could cover his sin and that's in uh, 2 Samuel 11:13. And David invited him, and he ate with him and drank, so that he made him drunk. But that night he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. That's faithful. Um, Aben was drunk when he was killed. You can read about that in 2 Samuel 12, 28-29. The king was drinking himself into drunkenness when he was assassinated. 1 Kings 16, 8 through 10. 
Ben-Hadad and 32 other kings were drinking when they were attacked and defeated by the Israelites. 1 Kings 20, 12 through 21. The king gave the king gave each one all the drink he wanted. He was intoxicated when he commanded the queen to, queen to come and expose herself before the men. Esther 1, 5 through 12, um, the verse before that for the 30, for Ben-Hadad and the 32 other kings who were drinking when they were attacked and defeated was 1 Kings 20, 12 through 21. The Lord's wrath is pictured as mixed wine poured out and drunk by the wicked. Psalm 75, verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup of his wrath, and the wine foams and is red, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth must drain it and drink its dregs. Alcoholic drink is called the wine of violence, Proverbs 4 and 17. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, Proverbs 20, verse 1. A wise person will not be among the drinkers of alcoholic beverages, Proverbs 23, 19 through 20. Drunkenness causes poverty, Proverbs twenty three twenty one. Oh, I want to touch on this one, actually. This one's talking about uh, drinking causes woe, sorrow, fighting, babbling, and wounds without cause. And that's in Proverbs 23, 29 through 30. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness and dimness of eyes? Those who tarry long at the wine. Those who go to seek and try mixed wine. Basically, I had written down... You know, it talks about basically with Proverbs 23, 29 through 33, there are six consequences produced by alcohol noted in these verses of scripture. God's word has been proven to be true regardless of the age in which man lives. This list of the problems associated with alcohol is as true today as it was then. Emotional, number one, it has emotional problems, the woe and the sorrow. Number two, it has social problems, the strife and complaint. Number three, it has physical problems, which we'll go into whenever the Holy Spirit leads us, and that's the wounded and the red-eyed. So I wanted to just touch on that one because I had seen that. And it has... God instructs not to look at intoxicating drinks. That's Proverbs twenty three thirty one. And alcoholic drinks bites like a serpent, stings like an adder. Proverbs twenty three thirty two. Alcohol causes the drinker to have strange, adulterous thoughts, producing willfulness 
and prevents reformation. Alcohol makes the drinker unstable. That's in Proverbs 23:34, And in 23:33, I think was before that. Alcohol makes the drinker insensitive to pain, so he does not perceive it as a warning. Alcohol is habit-forming. Proverbs 23:35. Kings, princes, and others who rule and judge must not drink alcohol. Alcohol perverts good judgment. Proverbs 31, 4 through 5. The king tried everything, including intoxicating drink, to see if it satisfied. It did not. That's in Ecclesiastic 2.3. I searched in my mind how to cheer my body with wine, yet at the same time having my mind hold its course and guide me with human wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly, till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. Lands are blessed when its leaders do not drink. Ecclesiastics 10.17 Woe to those who get up early to drink and stay up late and night, late at night to get drunk. And that's in Isaiah 5.11-12. Woe to champion drinkers and experts at mixed drinking, mixing drinks. Isaiah 5.22 Drunken men stagger in their vomit. Isaiah 19 and 14. And also, the Israelites chose to drink. Their future looks hopeless to them. Isaiah 22, 12 through 13. Drinkers cannot escape the consequences when God judges. Isaiah 24, 19. Adam? All right. Number 36, Isaiah 28, verse 1. God pronounces woe on the drunkards of Ephraim. Uh, Isaiah 28, 3. Proud drunkards shall be trodden down. Isaiah 28, Isaiah 28, 7. Priests and prophets stagger and reel from beer and wine, err in vision and stumble in judgment. Isaiah 28, 8. Drinkers' tables are covered with vomit and filth. Isaiah 56, 9 through 12, drinkers drink, seek their own gain and expect tomorrow to be just like today. You know, and with that being said, the Bible says to watch, you know, so drinking actually impairs your ability to watch for the waiting of the Lord because it causes you to think, well, everything's just going to be the same tomorrow. Jeremiah 35, 2 through 14, the Rechabites drank no grape juice or intoxicating wine and were blessed. Ezekiel 44 through 21, again, God instructed again, priests, and we are kings and priests unto God, not to drink wine. Daniel 1, 5 through 17, Daniel refused the king's intoxicating wine and was blessed toward along with his abstaining friends. Daniel 5, verse 1, Belshazzar, ruler of the king of, sorry, ruler of Babylon, led his people in drinking. And this, if you know anything about the story of Belshazzar, he's not an example you want to follow. God brought great judgment upon his life. Uh, Daniel. Well, basically, you know, the you know the short version is is that basically the judgment that was so severe that it was like literally with Belshazzar uh, that it, when the prophet came 
and pronounced his judgment that like the finger of God came and wrote uh, the judgment of God upon the wall. And um, I mean, and I don't have all the details and I'm not going to go into all that right now, but it was, but the judgment of God in this example was, was extreme. And so it's not exactly, and, and the thing is he led the people. We've talked a lot about leading, about leading through either your words or even your life. Let me just, let me emphasize that part. Whether you are a teacher, a preacher, a pastor, or you're just a person in the church, in some way, shape, or form, you are leading by example, whether it be in your workplace because people know you're a Christian, in church because you're in some kind of helps ministry, whatever the case may be, you do have a position of influence on some level. And so if you lead by either word or example in this care, then, then there brings a judgment on your life because we've already covered the dangers of what happens if we cause someone to stumble. Let's see. Uh, Dan- Daniel 5, 2 through 3, the king, along with his nobles, wives, and concubines, drank from the goblets which had been taken from God's temple. Uh, Daniel 5, 4, drinking wine was combined with praising false gods. Daniel 5, 23, God sent word to Belshazzar that punishment would be swift for the evil he had committed. Uh, Hosea 4, 11, intoxicating wine takes away intelligence. So in short, drinking makes you stupid. <laughs> Uh, and I don't know about you, I don't want to be stupid. Uh, Hosea 7.5, God reproves princes for drinking. We're sons of God. Not only are we kings, we're princes because we're sons of God. We're kings under the king of kings. Uh, Joel 1-5, through 5, drunkards awake to see God's judgment. I don't know about you, but I, I wake, I want to see like a sunrise. I want to hear like birds singing. I don't want to awake to God's judgment. No thanks. Uh, Joel 3.3, 3, the enemy is judged for selling girls for wine. Amos 2.8, Unrighteous acts of Israel included the drinking of wine which had been taken for the payment of fines. Amos 2.12, Israelis condemned for forcing Nazarites to drink wine. Micah 2.11, Israelites are eager to follow false teachers who prophesy plenty of intoxicating drinks. Wow, uh, Deborah, you know, had covered earlier, you know, prophets that uh, drink alcohol and then they don't know what spirit they're operating by. So it talks about uh, Israelites and, you know, we are types and symbols. We are, we are spiritual Israel. It says that, you know, it's basically saying that many of the Israelites were eager to follow these false prophets. And, you know, we're living in that day when a lot of people were claiming themselves as prophets, but a lot, many of them are not operating by the Spirit of God. And it says that these people are eager to follow them. Why? Because when they start operating in the flesh, they start telling people what they want to hear. They, you know, the Bible says not to look at their faces. Why? Because it's safe to say that when you're speaking the true word of the Lord, sometimes it's not going to be what people hear. So why would these people be eager to follow these prophets? Because when they're under the influence of the flesh and under the influence of a, a demonic spirit, they're telling people things that they want to hear. You don't want to be that person. Let's see. Uh, Nahum 1.10, the drunkards of Nineveh will be destroyed by God. Habakkuk 2.5, a man is betrayed by wine. Habakkuk 2.15, woe to him that gives his neighbor drink. Habakkuk 2.16, drinking leads to shame. Matthew 24.48-51, a drinking service is unprepared for his Lord's return. I'm not going to go in. Well, actually, she actually never has it. She's very resourceful. And uh, that, that sermon is, I'm going to read this one. If that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is delayed and is going to be gone for a long time. So remember, we read that drinking causes you to think that today is just going to be like tomorrow. So you think to yourself, eh, it's just going to be the same tomorrow. 
This is what it says. That servant who is wicked and senseless on my master is delayed and is going to be gone for a long time. He's not coming back for a while and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour of which he is not aware and will punish him, cut him up by scourging and put him with the pretenders, the hypocrites, and they'll be weeping and grinding of teeth. Yikes. So first of all, that kind of uh, annuls the whole once saved, always saved argument. You know, I don't know. No matter how you translate that, teach that, try to turn that around. Getting cut up, getting cut up, and uh, being appointed a place with the unbelievers and being scourged doesn't mean you're getting a lesser spot in heaven. Okay, it doesn't mean you just lost your testimony. That's pretty clear. Uh, I find that the word of God is usually pretty simple and pretty clear. It's when men distort it with their own teachings that men miss, that it gets messed up. It actually, and in Luke twelve forty five, it says that, that servant says in his heart. My master is late in coming and begins to strike the men's servants and the maids to eat and drink and get drunk. So, again. That's in Luke as well, another, yeah, another one. So we've made it clear that drinking impairs our ability to be eagerly awaiting the Lord's return. That one reason enough should be enough to make us never, ever even want to come close to touching a beer, a, a, gla- a glass of wine, a shot of whiskey, whatever the case may be, ever again. Um Habakkuk 2.5 says, a man is betrayed by wine, and in Luke 1.15, John the Baptist drank neither grape juice nor wine. So he was the precursor. He was the one that prepared the way for Jesus coming. So if John the Baptist didn't drink wine, then how much more did Jesus not drink wine? Therefore, how much more should we not drink wine? And by the way, we are the ones in this day that prepare the way for the Lord's coming. So you know, for the Lord's second coming. I just want to interject. Mm-hmm. I, uh, uh, on this other one, it talks about in Luke twenty-one thirty-four. it talks about what sounds like a hangover to me. Uh, but take heed to yourselves and be on your guard, lest your hearts be overburdened and depressed, weighed down with the giddiness and headache and nausea and self-indulgence drunkenness and worldly worries and cares pertaining to the business of this life unless the day come upon you suddenly like a trapper in noose. Just sound like a hangover to me. I caught that when I just had a comment. <laughs> yeah, so the hangovers are not fun. I've had them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, a lot of, I mean, we all come out of things, you know, from not being Christians. But, I mean, and you know, the hangover is a result of the body trying to process this poison called alcohol that's been in your body. So, I mean, and that's that's why you're so hungover. That's why the body, can, you know, it's trying to process all this poison that you've put into it. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but. Anything that causes you to have to kneel down in front of the toilet, mm-hmm. vomit in the toilet, have a headache, and feel feel heavy all day, that 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 says to me that it's not a good thing. Um, let's see. Plus, it says in comments, drunkenness will cause a person not to be ready for the Lord's return. That was in the brackets there. Again, so again, um, and again, it, it again one more time. If we want to be ready for the Lord's return, then we need to be filled with the new wine, keeping our lamps burning like the foolish, the wise virgins, not the foolish virgins in that parable. I won't get into that whole thing, but if you want to be filled with the, the new wine and the oil of God that's going to cause us to be ready for the Lord's return and be watching and waiting, then you can't be like the foolish. Uh, Romans thirteen thirteen. do not walk in drunkenness or immorality. Romans fourteen twenty one. do not do anything that will hurt your testimony as a believer. 1 Corinthians 5.11, if a Christian brother is a drinker, do not associate with him. 
1 Corinthians 6.10, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't say may not, will not. Galatians 5.21, acts of the sinful nature such as drunkenness will prohibit a person from inheriting the kingdom of God. Again, they'll be cut in two, appointed a place with the unbelievers. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, in contrast to being drunk with wine, the believer is to be filled with the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 7, Christians are to be alert and self-controlled, belonging to the day, drunkards belong to night, and darkness. You know, on that I want to, you know, the thing that kept coming up to me was, you know, a lot of people might say, well, what if I just drink in private and nobody knows? Well, the very fact that you have to do it in secret probably says it's wrong. I mean, the Bible says that it talks right here about people that have to do things, that, that, that people refuse to come to the light because they know that their deeds are evil. So if there's something you have to do in darkness then it probably says that it's wrong. I mean, that's that, I mean, and that's just silly. Well, I'll just do it privately. Well, why? Why? I mean, it has no benefit to you. And so if you have to hide it, it's probably bad. First Timothy three, two through three bishops, elders are, are to be temperate, sober, and not any near, near any wine. So if you're any kind of leader in the church, you're not to be near it. You know, um, we will go a, a small example. We talked about uh, one of our uh, leaders. He talked about early in his uh, early on in his uh, uh, ministry. He some way he was having a problem with his singing voice, and uh, he had to, somebody recommended this thing that he had to mix like schnapps with, you know, uh, to to and spray on your throat to help your throat. And so he tries to go in secret, you know, and not ruin his testimony and tries to go, you know, by himself. And he's really, he's not trying to drink. He's not, he's trying to help his voice, but he goes to the liquor store and repeatedly he keeps getting caught by people in the liquor store. And, you know, the Bible says your sin will find you out. And so we're not even... He gonna, wasn't sinning. He but wasn't sinning, but, I mean, nonetheless... It looked like it was. But, avoid but all appearances. Avoid, yeah, yeah, it looked like it. And, I mean, I believe it was by the sovereignty of God that God allowed him, allowed that to happen to show him that, Hey, don't even go near this. Mm. Um, and you know, cause it's just amazing. Like the times that we think, okay, I'm just going to go sneak down and do this. It's just amazing how even in my own life and in, in times like then suddenly it's at that moment that somebody sees you, you know, one of my pastors, he even said that one time he tried to buy, Oh, I'm just going to check it out. It's a it's a non-alcoholic beer. It's no either, you know. And he tried and as he's reaching for it, the spirit of God convicted him and said avoid the appearance of all evil. So, you know, if let's say as as a pastor, you know, he walks out the store, some Christian pulls up from the church, sees him with his oduls, the very appearance of it is going to is going to cause people to think, "Well, man, pastor so and so is doing it. I'm going to go get no duels." And it's and and that, of course, would lead to other things. And by the way, even the O'Doul's does have some, those kind of drinks even have some alcohol. It's not totally removed. Um, <clears throat> Nahum 1.10, the drunkards of Nineveh will be destroyed by God. Habakkuk 2.5, a man is betrayed by wine. Oops, sorry, I, I repeated a couple. Uh, uh, Galatians 5.20, acts of the sinful nature such as drunkenness will prohibit a person from entering the kingdom of God. First Timothy three eight. In like manner, the deacons must be worthy of respect, not shifty and double talkers, but sincere in what they say, not given to much wine, not greedy for base gain, craving wealth, and resorting to ignoble and dishonest methods of getting it. First Timothy three eleven. The women likewise must be worthy of respect and serious, not gossipers, but temperate and self controlled, thoroughly trustworthy in all things. So they're supposed to be temperate and sober, and deacons are to be worthy of respect and not drinkers. Uh, Titus 1, 7 through 8, a bishop must be blameless, 
of the steward of God, and he's to be an overseer. In other words, it's saying an overseer is to be disciplined. Titus 2 through 3 says, And older men and older women of the church are to be temperate and not addicted to wine. First and lastly, 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4 says, The past life of drunkenness and carousing has no place in the Christian's life. And again, that's 1 Peter 4 through 4. That's a lot of scripture. That enough should be enough to make you never go near alcohol again. Deborah? Yeah, that's a lot, a lot of scripture. Um, I hope you, I hope you were able to write that down. And if not, like I said, I'm going to put up a link. I'm going to put up a link shortly here. And uh, um, so I'm going to put up a link and you'll be able to, to, uh, to look at that. Adam, you have anything? Yeah. Um, pretty soon we're going to start taking calls. Um, and, uh, but in the meantime, uh, I just want to talk about, you know, in my own life early on as a, uh, believer, you know, I was, uh, I remember I, I was around a bunch of unsaved people and I was trying to live my witness in front of them. And so the, you know, a lot of people will think, well, you know, I, I'll have a beer. So, you know, people in the world will think, you know, I'm not such a straight laced, you know, that I'm not so high and mighty above them. And sure, I'll do it so I can hang out. I'm not going to get drunk. You know, I'm just going to hang. And I remember like, I and they were encouraging me to drink because I was a big dr- I was a I was the guy drinking with them but then I got saved and now I'm trying to be this witness in front of them they kept encouraging me to drink but what's amazing is is that the minute I asked for a beer I finally caved in and I got a beer then they looked at me and said wait a minute you're you're supposed to be a Christian you know it's like the world wants you to compromise with them so that their consciences aren't convicted however even though they come against you because they don't want their conscience convicted, when you keep living above that and you keep standing on your ground and living a life above reproach in front of them, there's a point where they have no no choice but to respect you and to wonder why you're different. And so it's for that reason the Bible says to do your good to, to show your good works among the Gentiles that they may glorify God. You know, um, so just like I said, we're we're, the, we're supposed to live good lives among the Gentiles. We should be showing that we have something better than what they have. And, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about this uh, point that a friend of mine showed me was is that uh, a lot of times, you know, people will say, well, doctors, you know, they prescribe alcohol for supposedly having benefits and uh, you get certain and, you know, but let me say this that we were talking, me and Deborah were talking earlier about the actual benefit in alcohol actually doesn't come from the alcohol itself when it comes to wine. It comes from actually the skin of the grape itself. So you could go eat some grapes and get that same benefit. And, uh, and not only that, those benefits could also come from a lot of other sources, sources, be it vitamins or whatever. Um, you know, one doctor said you would have to drink 30 glasses of wine to get the, to get the benefits you could get you could get with one vitamin. So to go, so to think about that, to go get a big bottle of wine and drink the thing down, so you could take uh, get all the benefit out of uh, one vitamin, seems a little silly, man. Just go go take the vitamin. You know, I, the whole the whole drinking for physical benefit, especially in this day and age with all the things that we have available, is just silly. There's a lot of things available that we have uh, that that by far rule out any possible benefits of alcohol. You know, trying, drinking alcohol for benefit um, would be the same as, you know, oh, I don't know, eating, some, eating, eating, a, eating a chocolate bar, eating a bunch of chocolate bars because there's benefit of the milk in the, cho- in the milk chocolate. 
you know, it's just like, yeah, but you're getting fat, you're getting obese and, uh, you're filling yourself with sugar and, uh, you name it. So why not just, uh, go drink a glass of milk, you know? Uh, so that's, so the, so the, those kind of excuses are just, uh, ridiculous. Hey, you know, I had, uh, uh, read earlier how about, um, uh, you know, I think it bears, uh, repeating is, um, that Jesus, you know, he did drink wine at the at the Last Supper. Another this is a common myth that Jesus drank wine at the Last Supper and therefore it should be what we use in our communion services. And of course if we use wine in communion with God, why not use wine in communion with one another? The first point that needs to be made is that nowhere in any manuscript of the Greek New Testament does it say that Jesus drank wine at the Last Supper? Rather, what the Bible does say is that he drank of the fruit of the vine, and that's in Matthew twenty six twenty nine, Mark fourteen twenty five, Luke twenty two eighteen. Very specifically, then Jesus is referring to grape juice. To assume that this was Fermented grape juice and not fresh juice is to make a lot of assumptions. However, let's assume for a minute that it was it was last year's fermented grape juice and that it was being used for Passover. It would have to comply with the kosher laws of Passover. The kosher law of Passover required the removal of all leaven which would include any form of yeast or the products of yeast. And the bottom line is that kosher for Passover is flat bread and flat wine. If a Christian were feeling the need to partake of the Lord's table using wine, a communion glass of kosher wine that is a year old is likely to be more towards that a modern day, what a modern day person would consider vinegar as opposed to alcoholic. And, you know, you were talking about, um, uh, you know, take a little wine for your, for your stomach's sake. You know, when wine that, that had alcohol was used, it was diluted with that water and the dilution continued to be specified for the rabbis in New Testament times and the wine that customary at Passover and basically, it was kind of like vinegar and, and produced some cider. So it was, it was probably like cider vinegar, like a lot of people um, use that nowadays for, you know, it's like an organic sort of natural medicine. And as for um, doctors uh, um, talking about uh, red wine being healthy for, for you, really, there is actually no proof about the alcohol they found at the place that that comes uh that comes from the um it actually comes from the the skin of the red grape which is what makes which is what is actually good for the person and you can get just as much benefit from a non-alcoholic uh grape juice drinking non-alcoholic grape juice as you can from from getting uh from getting um you know, from drinking alcoholic, plus which uh, the alcohol the alcohol has a lot of, of uh, you know, I mean, 
drinking the alcohol far outweighs. I mean, not drinking the alcohol. I mean, if you drink the alcohol, you're you're in more of a chance of getting health problems than let's let you know. So if if you drank all that, so yeah. Um, so bottom line is, you know, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna go ahead and go into. Uh, the parable, uh, this actually parable, to emphasize the importance of this, um, go ahead and here look at the scripture. I'm going to go into the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins, and I'm going to break this parable down because um, we've talked a lot about how alcohol actually impairs your ability, your impairs your ability to await for the Lord's return. And so, give me one moment while I pull that scripture up, and let's see here. I'll have that up in just one moment as soon as technology catches up with me. But in this parable, it's so important because I want to emphasize a couple of things about this parable as I'm pulling that up is that a, they're all virgins. They're not they're You know, none of them are false. None of them are not really virgins. Uh, otherwise it would call them harlots. It's emphasizing that they, that they all start off as virgins and Basically, what happens in this parable is to break it down, and then I'm going to read it. Is that the the wise and the foolish? They all start off with lamps. They all start off with some oil. And this is uh, Matthew 25 1 through 13. And uh, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. They all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for us and you. Instead, go to those who sell. And I'm going to emphasize the next part. The next word I'm going to read is the key to the whole parable. And buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins were ready. Who were ready went with them to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, others also came. Said, "Sir, sir, open the door for us." But he replied, "I tell you the truth, I don't know you." Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So notice he says, I, he tells them, I don't know you. So let's make it clear that the foolish virgins are people who don't get like a lesser spot in heaven. They, he tell, he, he, they try to knock on the door and they're shut out. He doesn't know them. Now, why is the word by the key to the whole of parable? Let's go back to the beginning. You know, they were all virgins. They all had lamps and oil. But then in the end, he tells them to go to those that sell and buy for themselves oil. Um, why would they tell why would they tell them that? Well, because their lamp was running out. So they go back so at the beginning they all came out with some lamps and some oil. So what would be the difference? Well, the only possible difference would be that one group, being the foolish, bought less oil than the others. So now we have to ask, what do what what do we buy the oil of God with? Because it doesn't say that they just gave it to him, it says they bought it. What do we buy the oil of God with? We buy it the answer is we buy it with our lives. You know, um it's very clear in scripture uh, there's another parable about the, par- the the parable of the treasure in the field, and, and uh, I'm going to look that up as I'm talking to you. But it talks about um, that the man that the man gladly sold everything he had to get the treasure. Just give me one minute while I look that up. Well, while you're talking about that, I mean that's you know that's uh, 
I tell you, it's, it's, it seems to be coming back to almost being ready. The, the, I mean, this whole thing obviously is, is what it's been, but to me, it seems to keep coming back to be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready, because you never know at what moment he's gonna, he's gonna come back and to live our lives as, as if it was mm-hmm. two seconds from now, any second. And, and even if, even if he, you know, even if he didn't come back for a hundred years, you know, in the rapture, a hundred years from now, he's going to come back for you. Mm-hmm. He's going to come back for us. So I feel like this is, you know, while you were looking at the scripture, I mean, it seemed like you were sort of drawn to this. Uh, we've been d- being drawn to be ready, be ready, be ready, mm-hmm. because you know not what the hour. And, the, and then the, the, the servants were getting lazy and, mm-hmm. and uh, drinking and, and so, and then talks about the the five that we're sure about ready to mm-hmm. go into some other things, but but I kind of I don't know. It seems to be sort of a, almost go into that theme. I don't know. What do you think? Well, definitely. I mean, it's like so. The main, you know, if there's any reason above any other that we can say that would be more important than any other uh, would be the, really the two reasons would be so we don't lead others astray and B so that we stay watchful. That as we covered, drinking causes us to not. It causes us to become lazy and not be watchful and not await for the Lord's return. Uh, the, par- the parable I was looking at the links to the wise and the foolish. The Bible says, "Let every word be confirmed by you know two or three witnesses." Uh, Matthew thirteen forty four says, "The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field." So, why, notice he, he says, "With joy he goes and sells." And buys the treasure and the buys the field so he can so he can have the treasure. Why? Because he knew that what the treasure was so much better than what he had, so he gladly laid down everything to get it. Now, when we go back to the parable of the wise and the foolish, the foolish now basically represent people that go into the the camping store, whatever you want to call it, to buy themselves their lamp. They get their oil, but they represent people that they do lay down some of their lives but they don't lay down everything. Why? Because they still have some desire for the things of the world. They still have some desire for their own agenda, whatever the case may be. And so they basically, they're like, what's the minimum requirement to be saved? You know, what, what can I do to still kind of have a little bit of what I want to have, but still have Jesus too? So they lay down just enough to quote, get saved. And there really is a new birth experience. They accept Jesus into the heart, but then, but then they, but they, but they don't have enough oil to endure to the end. Whereas the wise are those, the, the wise are those that are like this guy with the field. They walk in and they're like, oh my gosh, I got to have this. This is so much better than the things of the world. I'm going to empty everything. Just give me everything. I got to have every ounce of oil. This will buy me. And therefore, they have enough to endure to the end. You know, Paul says, I consider all things dung or poop. Really, is what that really just means compared to knowing him. You know, um, it's a kind of it's. It's not exactly the most sanctimonious analogy, but uh, a really great preacher that I know of, he gave the analogy since Paul used it, we'll use it. Paul says, I consider all things poop compared to knowing knowing Jesus. He says, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you uh, go to the bathroom, you you flush it and you forget about it. You don't walk around the rest of the day going, my gosh, that was amazing. I wish I could keep that. That was was awesome. No, you got to forget it. You you must forget it. You must move on from these things. No, and you, you don't struggle with like thinking about it the rest of the day. You flush it because it is what it is. It's poop. So in the same way, if we're really going to be his, then we have to draw so close to Jesus 
that these things of the world are just like that to us. When God calls them to lay, calls us to lay these things down, which of course includes alcohol, they were just like, ugh, please, it's it's nothing. It's like it's nothing to me. I mean. It's, it's nothing because it's like it almost seems like a contradiction in the Bible. The Bible says that the, the salvation is free, but then it says that it costs us everything. How can that be? Well, the answer is, is because the everything is nothing. The everything is poop compared to knowing him. And that's what it really means, again, to be free from the law, that we don't have to lay everything down. We do, but the have to becomes a get to because we're so in love with Jesus. And that's how we have enough oil to endure to the end. All right. You know, I was thinking about... Um how, you know, we've obviously, the majority of Christians have have all have their testimony, have been through stuff or things that they're, you know, that they've been through doing, et cetera, that they, um, you know, so, but, and then there are those who have never had issues, but there are a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of health issues also related to, to alcohol and you know, even like we had mentioned earlier, with the with the um, just with the uh, hangover, that was really just basically, you know, the poison trying to get out. It was the, the detoxifying it. And uh, there are a lot of a lot of uh, health issues that that can come just from, you know, like you were talking about, like with that, and so. Like, for example, I had looked on, uh, I had looked up on the internet, uh, effects, uh, alcohol's effects on the body. Mm-hmm. And it says, on uh, drinking too much on a single occasion or over time can take a serious toll on your health. Here's how alcohol can affect your body. The brain, uh, in the brain, alcohol interferes brain's communication pathways and can affect the the way the brain looks and works. These disruptions can change mood and behavior and make it harder to think clear and move with coordination. And then the heart, drinking a lot over a long time or even too much on one single occasion, one single occasion can damage the heart, causing problems including cardiomyopathy, which is stretching and drooping of heart muscle, arrhythmias, which is a regular heartbeat, stroke, high blood pressure, liver, uh, heavy drinking takes a toll on the liver and can lead to a variety of problems and liver inflammation, including steatosis or fatty liver, alcoholic hepatitis, fibrosis, cirrhosis of the liver, Now, pancreas, alcohol causes the pancreas to produce toxic substances that can eventually lead to pancreatitis, a dangerous inflammation and swelling of the blood vessels in the pancreatitis that prevents proper digestion. Cancer, drinking too much alcohol can increase your risk of developing certain cancers including cancers of the mouth, mouth, esophagus, throat, liver, and breast. And then the immune system, drinking too much can weaken your immune system, making your body a much easier target for disease. 
chronic drinkers are more liable to contract diseases like pneumonia and tuberculosis than people who do not drink too much. Drinking a lot on a single occasion shows your body body's ability to ward off infections, slows your body's awareness to ward off infections even up to 24 hours after getting drunk. So basically, if you if you just go on a single binge or a single night of drinking or even it, it actually slows your body's ability to ward off these infections up to 24 hours after getting drunk. And I was going to, you know, it's a lot, uh, a lot of information, you know, a lot of things like, for example, um, the... Uh, that can can be from a lot of a lot of organs everywhere is are affected um negatively and the pancreatitis is as actually it's a glandular organ in the digestive system and endocrine system of vertebrates Uh, so it's an endocrine gland and basically i'm going to go to give you a quick description of what pancreatitis is. And if you'll bear with me here. On um, Okay, it says the most uh, is inflammation of the pancreas it has uh, several causes and symptoms and requires immediate medical attention. It occurs when pancreatic enzymes, especially trypsin, that digest food are activated in the pancreas, in the pancreas instead of the small intestine. It may be acute, beginning suddenly and lasting a few days or chronic, occurring over many years. So basically, uh, Basically, the uh, the pancreas actually starts to digest itself, so it becomes in, in, inflamed. But um, reason I know that is because I I struggled with uh, uh, alcoholism for for several years, and I was rushed to the hospital with um, severe pancreatitis, which I unknowingly had for a long time, and so I was rushed there. Um, I was rushed to to the hospital with that pancreatitis and I was, uh, you know, I was in there. It's very excruciating, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's basically from too much drinking. And so, you know, alcohol does affect the body in a negative way. And, you know, I, I was alcoholic. I drank for, for many, many years. Uh, too much and for too long and too many so whereas uh, the adverse damage has been done to my body I have um, alcoholic neuropathy which is basically nerve damage from too much drinking and a thiamine deficiency and so I also had I also had pancreatitis which like I was saying when I was in the hospital and since I was addicted to um, cigarettes at the time as well here I am lugging my my uh my IV pole with me outside so I can have a cigarette. It was pretty crazy because I was in extreme pain. Uh, you can eat because if you eat, uh, it's too painful and it's too much nausea because, as I said, the pancreas is literally digesting itself. So if you put food in it, 
it's going to it's going to digest your pancreas even more and give you more give you more pain and all that and all that stuff so um you know it's going to give you more pain and uh eating and it, it just takes a while to to um you know for that to to work and so um there's other things on the body like the wet brain which is uh you know, if they don't get that under control, then you know the person can die. It's pretty much a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of uh, damage that it can do. So it all goes back to again, uh, <laughs> and the, the, the alcohol comes from the word alcohol, which means again a body eating spirit. We can go on and on. Um, the brain, the pancreas, the liver. Um, it causes it increases risk of cancer. So there's far more. Health, benefit, health risks associated with alcohol than any, anything close to a health benefit. And any health benefits can be done by drinking just regular grape juice. Alcohol in and of itself doesn't have any health benefits. It does nothing but kill brain cells. It causes us not to be uh, hungry for uh, awaiting the Lord's return. The list goes on. So to say that I can drink because I'm not under the law, it, we, I think we've proven is uh and it is a christian it's okay i mean it leads others astray it causes us it brings us under the influence of possibly other spirits uh there's spirits inherently linked with it you know the list goes on so it's it's the wine of the world but we i think i want to touch on that now how do we get into the wine of the spirit you know um for anyone that's possibly listening right now, I want to go ahead and uh, if you've been listening and either you're a Christian and you are drinking or you're not, you've never accepted Jesus at all, you need to ready to get to dedicate your life, um, I want to go ahead and uh, lead in a prayer. The Bible says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whatever state we're in, there's always, there's always deliverance through repentance. Uh, so if you would like to Turn that thing around. Come to Jesus or rededicate your life. Say this prayer with me with your heart and with your lips out loud and say, Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Wash me and cleanse me. Set me free. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I repent from anything in my life that has grieved you. In the name of Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me passion for the lost hunger for the things of God, and a holy boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you prayed that and meant that, then you have accepted Jesus in your heart now as far. And if you're a Christian and or anybody else that has struggled with alcoholism, I want to pray a prayer of deliverance. Right now, God, in the name of Jesus, say this with me. Say, Jesus, deliver me from this addiction. Deliver me from this bondage. In the name of Jesus, God, right now, I pray right now that you, I release the fire of God. I release the spirit of deliverance over this, over this broadcast, God, in the name of Jesus, God, to break the spirit of bondage, to break the spirit in the name of Jesus, God. We curse alcoholism. We curse drawing to the things. We curse these things, and we pray for a spirit of deliverance come over this broadcast right now and set people free all around the world, God, that might be struggling with this, God, on whatever level it is. God, we break that thing now. In the name of Jesus, you spirit of alcoholism, I curse you and I command you to leave your deception off of these people's minds and lives. In the name of Jesus, God, they will not walk in the things of the world. They will walk in the things of God. Now, if once you've repented, there is the new wine of the Holy Ghost. 
The Bible says they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. That starts with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Jude 1.20 says, build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. As we've covered, the Bible says not to be drunk on wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. If you'd like to receive that, say this with me. Say, Jesus, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Fill me with power to live for you. Once you've received that, the Bible, once, the Bible says, if any earthly, earthly father gives good gifts to their children, how much more will he not give the Holy Ghost to those that ask him? You know, you need the Spirit of God. You need the, the ability to speak in tongues to live, to live a victorious Christian life. So when I count to three, the book of James says, faith without action is dead. Put your hand on your belly, and when I count to three, begin to speak out that new language. Do not pray in English. Do not pray in Spanish. Do not pray in any other language. By faith, begin to speak out some new syllables. And as you do that, he will then cause the language of his choosing to come through your mouth. You will not understand it, but he will. The Bible says when we pray in his tongue, when we pray in an unknown tongue, our mind is not edified, but our spirit is. So when I count to three, just begin to speak it out. One, two, three, now. Now, you might only have a few words and a few syllables coming out, but right now, as you're praying that out, it'll begin to grow as you continue in that. In the name of you, you might feel a peace, you might feel a fire. That is the presence of the Holy Ghost. And lastly, there's those of you that might have gotten into drinking because you're dealing with a lot of harsh life circumstances. Maybe a loved one died. Maybe you have, you're under a lot of stress. Maybe you're dealing with a lot of difficult life situations. Well, the Bible says that famine and destruction, you will laugh. We want to introduce you to the joy of the Lord, the new wine of the Holy Ghost that empowers you to walk above these things by his spirit, not by the wine of the world. When I count to three, put your hand on your belly and just by faith begin to laugh at, at the things of the devil. The laugh at the things that God, that the devil tries to do to you. In the name of Jesus, one, two, three, begin to laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Just say, ho, ho, ho. You're going to stir up that well on the inside. He, he, he. You know, in the natural, when you're trying to get a well, water out of a well or out of a pump, sometimes you have to prime that pump. Begin to prime that pump right now in the name of Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. Ho, ho, ho. He, he, he. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. You say, I feel foolish. Well, he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Ha, ha, ha. You, you've, been, you've been drinking the wine of the world. That's foolish. So now begin to do something else right now in the name of ha, 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 ho, 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 he, 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 right now, the joy of the Lord filling people right now, ha, 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 in the name of Jesus, with joy you'll draw from waters, from the waters and the wells of salvation, in the name of Jesus, God, joy to overcome the forces of this world, in the name of Jesus, we curse that, that spirit. And we bring in the Holy Spirit to replace that in the name of Jesus, that they may be watching and waiting for the Lord's return. Um, we just want to go ahead and not only and give you uh, the prayer line for our local church, uh, so even when you're not listening to the show, but you need someone to pray for you, from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock, and from 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock in the morning, this is p.m., um, we have a prayer line available, and that goes from Sunday through Saturday, Actually, sorry, not Monday, Sunday through Saturday, and uh, that number is one eight six. Sunday through Friday. So, okay, yeah. Uh, what she said. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday through, Friday. through Friday. Yeah, Sunday through Friday, and it's one eight six six eight five River R I V E R one eight six six eight five 
River. And uh, if you call that line, there's going to be people that pray for you. And even if you call during the day, there's even a recording of someone that's prayed an annoying prayer uh, to pray for people. So one way or another, there's always going to be someone there to pray and agree with you because we've prayed a spirit of agreement over that line. And, um, of course, we also want to give – Deborah, go ahead and give our email and give the uh, number for this show. Well, our email is firetalkradio and the number two – and that is at yahoo.com. So that's F-I-R-E-T-A-L-K-R-A-D-I-O. And then the number two at yahoo.com. And then that would be the number here to call. We only have like 15 minutes left, so... You can call in 646-668-2093 if you want to give us a quick testimony or praise report or you have a comment or a question. We have like roughly a little under 15 minutes. And so we've covered a lot uh, tonight and, uh, you know, we've covered a lot in this. And so, but um, also the, the number for... Did you get the number for the church? I wasn't in the room when you yeah, did. Yeah, I did. It's again, it's one eight six six eight five River R I V E R. And then also uh, revival dot com is R E V I V A L dot com. And so, just know that you know we're not we're not bringing this to you at all in a judgmental way or a condemning way. We're just trying to give you the facts of what we've learned and and to. You know, have you go study, like we said, to show yourself to be study to show yourself to be approved. And uh, so, but also, you know, uh, we were trying to think of a topic, and we thought of one. At least I felt like the Holy Spirit had laid one on my heart. And turns out that April is actually Alcohol Awareness Month, which I wasn't even aware of. So that was pretty wild. Um. I have, uh, I felt, you know, I said I was in the room. I felt led to go in the other room because I had some prayers for alcohol and for addiction. So I, I felt led to go and get those. So it says in Romans 8, 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And I pray for freedom for addiction. Father, I ask you right now to pour your anointing on these precious people, that anointing that destroys every yoke of bondage. And we speak freedom over these people. And right now we break the chains of addiction off them by the blood of Jesus and fill them with your Holy Spirit that makes them free in Jesus' name. And there was one for alcohol in here. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And Father, in Jesus' name, we just ask you to fill these precious people right now with your presence. Fill them up to overflowing with your love and anointing, that anointing that destroys every yoke of bondage. We set these people free right now from the chains of alcohol. Let your fire burn out all desire for alcohol in them and fill them with your Holy Spirit to take its place. And we thank you right now for freedom 
For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then just one other quick prayer. 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, emancipation from bondage, and there's freedom. Father, I thank you for, the power, for your power and your word that is alive and active inside of us right this very moment. Holy Spirit, you are present with us right now, and the word declares that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we declare liberty, freedom from bondage, and complete deliverance in every area of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know, I know, I know that, uh, you know, I was telling you earlier about, about my days of, uh, of drinking too much uh, for many, many years, which caused a lot of health problems. And so, but I'm, I'm happy to report I've not, I've not drank a drop of it since 1999 so or smoked a cigarette since then so it's been quite a while um but i just thought i'd share that because where the spirit of the lord is there's freedom so i want to just emphasize that that you know freedom i mean i'm all about accountability and things like that and uh if you have to go to a group of people to help you you know walk in freedom I, but i will say that it doesn't always have to stay that way that there's a freedom that's in the spirit of the lord so we just can't emphasize enough that you know if you're not plugged into a local church that's flowing in the power of god that's flowing in the things of the spirit that can help you get in the presence of god we want to emphasize that you do that we want to encourage you uh to watch uh, the services on revival.com r e v i v a l Dot com. You know, we have a, a church that flows very strongly in the new wine of the Holy Ghost. We want to encourage you to watch that and let the Lord touch you with his joy. You know, um, we know of a woman, I know of a woman personally, that, you know, she was watching the uh, one of the episodes at home, and she was, uh, she was bound to um, an addiction to another drug besides alcohol, but she was instantly set free by the power of God. God has deliverance for you in his spirit, because again, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So again, it's R-E-V-I-V-A-L. Um, found another script. Dot com. Dot com. Yeah, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a, here's, a, here's another scripture we found that actually we was going to read earlier, but it's Proverbs 23, 29 through 33. And who has woe? Who has grief? Who is contentious? Who has strife? Who is wounded? For nothing, whose eyes are red, because she Deborah mentioned this. Whose linger long, those, long, those who linger over wine, those who come inquiring over mixed drinks, do not look at the wine becoming red. For the one who fixes his eyes on the goblet, all paths are upright. At last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a, a, an adder. And your eyes will look after strange women, and your heart will utter perverse things. So, no matter how good it looks, it says that in the end, it, stri- it strikes like an adder. I mean, if a snake, if a poisonous snake was to bite you, the health benefits obviously wouldn't be good. So, it compares the benefits of alcohol to that of a snake biting you. And uh, you know, the, you know, alcohol presents emotional problems as we covered, physical problems, spiritual problems. So to say that staying away from alcohol is legalism isn't. It's not. It's. It, it, we just want to emphasize. It's not. A, it's not a matter of well, it's your conviction, but it's not my conviction. 
uh, we've given 75 scriptures that show that this is something that should be avoided if you consider yourself a king and priest before the Lord. We only have a few minutes left. We just want to thank everyone uh, that is listening or is, that has been listening. And uh, please uh, send us any comments or testimonies via the email we gave or uh, things of that nature so that we can go ahead and hear from you. Uh, feedback's very important for us so we can know who's being ministered to by the show. So we would appreciate that. And, uh, and <clears throat> Also, I was going to say that um, uh, was that uh, did we cover earlier about uh, Jesus when he was on the cross? Did I find that scripture? Uh, you didn't, actually. Okay, because I was going to talk about how like when um, when Jesus was on the cross, they they if you can find that scripture in there, because I don't have it right in front of me. But when I was talking about uh, alcohol in the church, it talked about um, you know when when they at, at first. I mean, I always wondered it until I read this. It's like at first when they went to give um, Jesus, who was on the cross, they went they they first offered him wine. He didn't take it. He refused it. But then when they 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 reached down for the vinegar, and they gave it to him, he took it. So the first the first one was was the um, I believe I'm not mistaken was the was a fermented one, and that's why he didn't take it. And then the second one was the vinegar, which is I guess what they, you know. So he took that one, but he didn't take the fermented. He didn't take the fermented one. Yeah, the scripture is actually in Matthew. If that is a lot of them, but the scripture, this scripture anyway, is in Matthew twenty, uh, twenty-seven, uh, verse thirty-three. And I'm actually going to start a little earlier. I'm going to start in verse thirty-two, and it says they came out. They have six minutes left. They found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to go and that he might bear his cross. And there came a place called Golgotha, which is to say the place of a skull. And they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted it, he would not drink. So when Jesus realized what they were giving him, he was like, I'm good. And he, he turned it down. Mm-hmm. And then when they had crucified him, they parted his garments among them, casting lots. And they sat and watched him there. And they set up over his head an accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And there crucified him were two robbers, one on the right hand and one on the left. And they that passed by him railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save yourself, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And in the same manner, the, the chief priest mocking him with the scribes, elders said, He saved others, he cannot save, he is the King of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe on him. He trusts on God, let him deliver him, he desires, for he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers that were crucified with him cast on him the same reproach. Now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them stood there and said, He calls Elijah. And straight one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. And the rest said, Let him. And then, you know, it goes on. They, you know, they, they crucify him and eventually, you know, he's crucified and eventually he dies. But the point we want to emphasize is that he turned down the alcoholic mixture, but yet when they brought him the vinegar, he went ahead and drank it. So that in and of itself shows that Jesus was never drinking wine. Even on the cross, when they gave him something that maybe perhaps would have relieved some of his pain, uh, even in that situation, he turned it down. Why? Well, A, because it's wrong. B, but also because he had to, he had, he had to take without any, without any remedy the full wrath of God's judgment upon him, which was actually supposed to be our own, upon himself there on the cross. 
And I, I think also it's like it's um you know, with with that it's uh I don't know, I just lost what I would say. <laughs> okay. But with that being said, you know, mm. so it's we've given a, a lot of examples tonight. So we just want to encourage everyone out there, you know, get in the Word of God. Get in the Church of God. If you don't have a solid church to go to, we want to encourage anyone in the Tampa, St. B, Clearwater, even Orlando area. You know, they say if it's alive, it's worth the drive. You know, um, if you're anywhere near the Tampa, Florida area, I want to encourage you to come to the River at Tampa Bay Church. Uh, it's on... River International Drive here in Tampa, 37, Florida. 3738 River International Drive. Mm-hmm. And that's in Tampa, Florida, 33610. That's 3738 River International Drive, Tampa, Florida, 33610. And as we've given up before, 866-857-4837 is the prayer line. And... um the email is firetalkradio and the number two at yahoo.com. And if you know, you know, just uh, if you get it, if, um, it's it's a powerful, awesome, awesome experience. The service times are at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, 7 p.m. on Sunday night, 7 p.m. on Wednesday mm-hmm. night, Eastern time, of course. And uh, there's even prayer meeting at seven o'clock on uh, mm-hmm. Thursday that goes till 8:30. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking real quick, while we only have about two minutes left, I wanted to quickly say how water baptism can really help, uh, you know, um, we we just had a water baptism this last Sunday in the morning, and the teaching is actually online, it was uh, the 6th of April, and that's dying to the old man, that's, the old man is, is, is gone, so basically all of our our things and you know I wasn't expecting it but I took a change of clothes just in case Adam and and I thought well in between Sunday school and that I'm going to go ahead and change because I don't know what's going to happen so before I went in I went ahead and changed and just in case and then I felt like the Lord was saying will you meet me in the water and he said it like three times will you meet me in the water and I said well I'm gonna have to have a confirmation so finally they gave an altar call for for um, water baptism, I went forward and did he ever meet me in the water? My goodness, I, they had to fish me out of there and literally carry me out of the pool. It was it was it was a powerful, wonderful, wonderful experience. Amen. And uh, you know, it's like we basically made a decision that day by you know by getting baptized. Even though both of us had like been baptized before, that we wanted to consecrate our lives onto a deeper level with the Lord. And so that's really what this show's about. This show's about abstaining from the things of the world and consecrating ourselves on a deeper level with God. And that's what we really want to leave everyone here, to be watching and waiting for the Lord's return. Consecrate yourself because the Lord's return is at hand. And that God's got something much better for you than the wine of the world. He has the wine of the Spirit. So um, just we want to really emphasize that. Uh, that we and that's, and that's an ongoing process. You know, it's not a one-day thing. We are to, the Bible says we, we carry our cross daily uh there's we got one minute left and we just want to bless everyone so again the teaching of christianity is the is that you take up your cross not lay down in your easy chair you know so we we crucify the flesh we turn from the things of the world because this is not our home heaven is our home and we love you and and we're glad that you joined us and we hope you were blessed by this and that you learned a lot of information and that the, the peace of god just be with you and his his love uh, surround you and envelop you and 
And just know that we're here for you. If you have a prayer request, send it to firetalkradio2 at yahoo.com. You've got less than 20 seconds, so we're going to... Just going to pray a prayer blessing over everyone. Right now, in the last week of God, I pray everyone that's listening, bless them, give them a good night's sleep, get them in the house of God, in the morning, God, in the name of Jesus, God, and let the fire of God touch them all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. God bless you. Bye.